MagSafe battery pack had a firmware update, which... <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly left field, I will say. Yeah. Uh, we, at 9to5Mac, we've got, I don't know, there's like bots that look for stuff. And if there's a new firmware for... If there's a new firmware update to AirPods or Beats, or in this case, the MagSafe battery pack, like, you know, the numbers, like, we, we, we get the numbers, and then there's not, like, a, you know, like a like a clear way to update, so then you just kind of hope that you can you can see, you know, what version you have, and then, you know, I think with, with AirPods, there's a way that you can sort of, for, like, not force, but suggest that it updates the firmware, but, all like, you know, and this just does, like, release notes or something, then it, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, okay, the firmware number changed. Um, yeah, because Apple doesn't <laughs> write, like, a release note document right. for its accessory update so like yeah when you update to ios you see that little what's new section with the learn more link and stuff and there's this big like html page of information and so our bots like get that when we can but for something like a magsafe battery pack or like airpods those there's no like ui apple ever exposes anywhere that has a feed of that stuff or, so. or even like in ios like we can dig through and and we know what it looked like before and where things were to the degree that we're really good at looking at it and saying oh this is what this has changed since last time you know and we can compare older versions like with accessories though you really you don't really get that it's basically a black box yeah <laughs> yeah so there's not they, to, to my mind there's not a lot of like it's not much interesting and in, in what changed but in this case it actually really, really is kind of interesting um, because Apple published a support document about the MagSafe battery pack, um, and it references this firmware update that that came, and it even talks about how to update it, which is also interesting to me. So, that, so there's two parts to it, but the first part is that the um, the MagSafe battery pack is now better at charging your phone. And Mayo, why is that? Yeah, so when you're charging detached from. Like, so when the battery pack is on the go, i.e. not attached to the wall, it's just snapped onto the back of your phone, with this firmware update, it can now charge up to 7.5 watts via the MagSafe connection compared to only 5 watts before the update. And one of the criticisms when the MagSafe battery pack was new, like, what, a year and a half ago, was that it charged quite slowly. (laughs) So it would have been quite handy if we had this extra 2.5 watt uh, charging rate a while ago but here we out of the blue it's like here you go now it charges faster so who the heck knows what happened inside of apple to suddenly mean like oh now we can let you charge this fast and like did they do some more testing they they somehow someone was like uh, is this actually going to explode if we go to two and a half watts faster charging oh no okay i guess we'll roll it out like who knows how this came about because it's just like so random when the massive battery pack uh got a lot of criticism for being a bit you know bulky not charging too quickly and at the time, there was no indication from Apple that this was like updatable with software or there was anything they could do about it. That was, this was just like presented as is. And just randomly, with no motivation or trigger, seemingly, they roll out version 2.7 firmware with faster charging. So it's a, yeah. it's a nice surprise. It's still not as fast as like a MagSafe, it, despite being called the MagSafe battery pack. If you plug like a, a MagSafe puck, charging puck to the back of your iPhone and have that charge from the wall, or other MagSafe accessories, they charge up to 15 watts because they have the magnetic attachment. If you're doing Qi charging on a pad, that can do up to 10 watts. So 7.5 watts is still you know, less than that, probably because there's inefficiency in the little brick of the pack and it can't transmit at full power because of heat dispersion or whatever you know, whatever reason. Uh, but still, 7.5 watts is a lot better than 5 watts because like, 
Although it, it, I, I don't have a MagSafe battery pack, we haven't done testing this, but I would assume that the charging speed increase is more than 50%, right? Because whenever you see these wattage things, it's like on the iPhone, like a 5 watt, a 10 watt charger charges the iPhone more than twice as fast as a 5 watt charger. It's just how these things work. So you'll see like disproportionately greater improvement here, I would expect. Yeah, it was... <laughs> It, uh, th- I'm glad that they did this. They published the documents so that we would know this because I don't think any uh, otherwise. Like, if, if somebody would have claimed it, then it'd be like, well, um, I don't know, don't really trust you. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds so left field, though. Because uh-huh. yeah. you know, normally these these accessory like firmware updates basically just address bugs, and yeah. so they're really boring. So the fact that this has like a a notable feature in it is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I, I do have the MacLeaf battery pack. Uh, it's I, I I benefit from it. Uh, sometimes like I, I, I intentionally recommending it. it. It probably is, is, I think it's like the most, well, I would say it's like the most convenient, um, less, most convenient, least efficient way to charge your phone on the go. Like, you know, there's, it, it's more convenient than a, a standalone battery that you connect over, over a cable. But then there's like any other competitor to this, it, even if it isn't max, if it's just wireless charging, like you're going to probably have a, a better experience. And in and, and this document, Apple breaks down, you know, how much uh, more charge you're going to get on a 12, 12 mini through a 13 pro. And like at most on a, on a, on a mini phone, you get 70% more battery on a, on a pro max phone, you get 40%, more, which is, you know, and, and it is, you know, and I guess that's the percent of the total. So, you know, either it's the same amount added extra, but um, it's just, it's the least efficient, you know, I think the, the best battery case Apple made was when it was actually a case and it had the camera and the shutter button on it, mm-hmm. but that was also like the bulkiest and least convenient because you had to keep it on. And if you didn't want to use that case, then yeah. So, so <laughs> this, I'm, I'm glad this product exists. And also I'm glad it's getting better. So, you know, and, and also Apple keeps just making the iPhone battery a lot better. So back in the iPhone seven days when mm-hmm. the smart battery case was like a, a new thing, it, I, I think it felt more essential, more relevant. Nowadays, it's a nice to have. It's a nice little like battery pack you could slip in your bag and you know you can attach it when you need it. You can take it off when you don't. But I think a lot of people now don't need, ex- or they shouldn't need external battery cases for most usage and they can just get through on one charge, at, at least on the higher end iPhones like the, the, you know, the Pro and the Pro Maxes. Obviously, if you have a Mini, you're, you're struggling, but you're, you're drowning on with battery life on the Mini forever. So that's nothing new. If I was looking at something, though, I, I don't think the Madsafe batch pack is terrible, but I would probably just, I think personal preference-wise, I'd probably pick just like an external battery pack that has multiple inputs into it because then you're not tied down to, oh, it only works with the iPhone. Like, if you're going to carry a, like a battery pack around with you, I kind of feel like the utility of being able to plug it into other devices, charge your watch, charge your phone, maybe charge an iPad, like that. that is generally what I would prefer. And Obviously, you're not going to get something that then snaps onto the back of the phone, but you can just leave it in your bag and then get it when you need it. And at a hundred bucks, it's a pretty bad value too. For, for yeah, that. yeah, because that that battery pack I just described, you could get with double the capacity for like half the price and yeah. more capable. But the uh, and I haven't checked if I've if, if, what firmware I have, but um, they do tell you how to how to check your firmware, how to update your firmware. Have you done the sacred ritual? And, and so there's there's two methods. Um, I'll read the first one because I just love it. In order to get 7.5 watt charging on the go, update your MagSafe battery pack to the latest firmware. The firmware update begins automatically after you attach your battery pack to your phone. The firmware can uh, the firmware update can take about a week, about one week. So 
the the default method, which they would expect everybody to do, is just you, you use the battery pack. At some point, the battery pack updates by being connected to the phone um, about, about one week. And I, I assume that the one week method means to trigger, that it doesn't actually take a week to update from 0% to 100%, but that's just my guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no way it takes a week <laughs> to install, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of like how like an automatic update on the iPhone takes, you know. A week to download and to download, and then an hour to install or whatever. Right. So it's probably just like they they do probably do some kind of smart, intelligent thing where they don't like the moment you connect the battery pack to the phone, it's not always checking for new firmware, so it's only checking every few days. And then if your battery's low, it then defers it to later. So that's probably what I would yeah. say about a week. But though. they don't explain. They do say it could take about one week. So you know <laughs> you have to you have to fill in the blanks there. The other method they say to update the firmware using a Mac or iPad, plug one end of a lightning to USB cable into the lightning connector on your battery pack and the other end into your Mac or iPad. The firmware update will take about five minutes. So that seems a lot more efficient. If, <laughs> if, if you really want to get seven and a half Watts charging um, sooner than later to plug it into your Mac. And, and again, you just wait, like there's no user interface except for going and checking in the settings um, you, you have settings general about and then max it better. So it's pretty buried in there um, to see what firmware version you have. But um, so so I did the second method, which was I just plugged it into my Mac. And I haven't verified because there's no like user interface except for digging the settings and seeing what version you're on. Um, but but I, I, <laughs> I assume I'm on the, the faster version now. A lot, a lot of trust in the system. The the avatar connection uh, approach, they should do that for AirPods as well because I hate the thing with the AirPods where it's like, to update your firmware, just open the lid and then just wait around for a, <laughs> for a while and then hope that the, the software update gods bless your device. Yeah, so. yeah. Yep, so that, that's... Uh, I, I like I the way you put this in the show notes, which is um, MagSafe Battery Pack firmware 7.5 uh, WTF instead of Watson WTF. <laughs> so I, I like that a lot. Uh, next I, love, I love puns like that where you like extend the acronym. <laughs> I love stuff. Next up this week, we have the iPhone uh, camera challenge. This is for macro photography. Apple announced the results over the past week and they published the photos and everything. And um, I guess the the results are in. This is, this is with the iPhone 13 only uh, and it's for macro photography. So remind me again, what models can support macro photography specifically? It's only the pro. So 13 pro and 13 pro max. Okay. Yeah. Cause you need the, um, the the higher end ultra wide camera with the extra focus pixel stuff. Okay, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. So, yep, and of course the results look amazing. You can go go back to any iPhone photo challenge, and the pictures always look amazing, better than what. Well, and in previous years, people some of the average. winners have been like really old cameras. Obviously, this year it was limited to the latest models, but yeah, but you go back like two years, the shot on iPhone challenge, half the winners were like taking photos on an iPhone six or something crazy, and it's like it just shows that in most cases the the amount of light you have, the additional hardware that you have, including lights and bigger magnifiers and stuff like that, are what really counts when it comes to taking great pictures. Because the sensors, if they have the light, they can take some crazy shots. And obviously, all the all the winners here look fantastic. I I basically just put this in in the show because I wanted to ask you: Has the fad of macro worn off? I know you were doing quite a lot of macros when you first got the 13 Pro, but you know, it's months, it's months along. Are you, are you still doing it or has it kind of faded into the background? My, my recollection was the macro was like the most invisible feature because it was um, some, well, initially there was confusion about how it was taking the picture. Then they cleaned up the, the user interface for it so that you knew 
Um, and you could toggle it on or off right in, in the, in the camera, like live view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- this is, I mean, I think this is a really good photo challenge because then you can show here's actual pictures taken in this scenario, but in terms of just demoing it because the, the macro feature was so it was, you know, automatic and that you couldn't just go to a mode to do it. You had to be in the right scenario. Um, and then they clean up the interface, user interface. That was better. But, um, for me, it's also like probably the hardest to do. I mean, I, I can never take iPhone pictures as good as the ones that win these challenges. But um, can anyone? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think on average, most people's pictures are pretty average. It just you know how averages work. But in this case, there's a lot of challenges too. Just like if you get that close, then you sometimes end up blocking the lighting in a way that you can't. You know, it's it's just there's some skill to it, I guess, as well. And it isn't just as easy as point and shoot. Well, and a lot, I think a lot of these pictures in the challenge are, they're done in studios. So like the, the close-ups on all the, on all the uh, petals of the flowers, they have like perfect black background and stuff. So I presume they're like set up in, in a studio. They've got huge lamps providing a lot of light. And that's what gives you the extra resolution in detail. Because the, the biggest issue with the iPhone's smaller lenses compared to traditional cameras, they can't take in as much light. So you have to provide light to the environment. And that's especially true when you're taking close-up macro shots. Yeah. Um, something this reminds me of, though, is you remember a few years ago in, in iOS code, uh, maybe two years ago, when we had some, some you know, access to some stuff that, was, that wasn't out yet. And then so much of it came out in the next version of iOS. One thing, I think, was integration in the Photos app of like a community feature where things like this are part of the photos app yeah so you could like participate in a shot with iphone challenge directly from the photos app i think that's still a pretty good idea Uh, it's one of those things where when it actually came out you know you you could critique it one way or the other but i think you just um you know one of the one of the positives of it is that it could sort of you know aspirationally if you know if if you choose to go look at that that tab then you could say oh this is these are things that i can do with my with my with my um with this particular camera you know or if you have an older mm-hmm. iphone he's like oh i feel bad about my this iphone camera and, and they kind of do that to some degree with um the apple account and instagram because that basically is just shot on iphone challenges all year round and they show examples and they do ads and they're like you know they they invite you to do your own and tag it and you can find the, the hashtag on instagram or whatever but i think it'd be nice to have a it shouldn't be in your face because obviously it's like an answery thing, but just a little like section maybe in the albums tab or something where you can see examples shot by other people. You can submit your own. That'd be a nice little community thing. But could also could also see that being like a um a feature that that marketing pushes heavily and like people are just like no way that's too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if they just over, over the um they just used it as a repository, like basically everything that they put on the Instagram account, they also just mirror into that feed. Then they could ensure that it at least isn't like a graveyard and it just has some nice pictures you people can appreciate for five minutes or whatever. It definitely feels like something marketing will want to do. And maybe maybe it's face resistance and that's why it hasn't actually come out yet. Yeah, Apple Photos Connect and, uh, <laughs> and Apple Music Connect slash ping style. <laughs> Camera ping. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Lumen Skin. All right, skincare. If your routine is basically just washing your face in the shower then it's time to listen up. Maybe you're using that same shower gel you've been using since high school. What you thought was good enough actually probably could be damaging your skin. But thanks to Lumen, you can drop that bottle of 3-in-1 and start using products that actually take care of your skin. With Lumen, you can get the highest quality moisturizers, cleansers, shampoo, body wash, and more, all in one place. All of their products aim to help with stubborn 
acne scars, under eye dark circles, wrinkles, sun damage, dry skin, and more. Starting with Lumen is so easy. You can just take their two-minute quiz at lumenskin.com slash happy hour, and they'll tell you exactly what routine you need for your skincare needs. And all of their products are made using only natural ingredients, ingredients that actually work, including licorice root extract, rose flower oil, charcoal powder, ginger, green tea, and charcoal. And you can care for your skin by setting aside just 90 seconds a day using their products. Uh, they sent me a few of their items to try. Uh, I just got them this morning, and I think they're actually really great, They, uh, including the exfoliating rub and the charcoal cleanser. The charcoal cleanser feels especially great on my skin, and it all comes in nice little bottles of packaging with simple instructions to follow written on the labels in plain English. And that's really something that I appreciate because, you know, I've never really cared about this before. And so if you get these little bottles that are like random potions and lotions, just having a three-sentence explanation printed on the label gives you a lot of confidence that you're not doing it wrong you know and included in what they sent me they had a product called the dark circle defense which you can dab underneath your eyes at night to reduce the appearance of dark circles under your eyes and uh, i'm definitely a sufferer from the baggy eye look so i can't wait to try it out tonight as well so level up your skincare game with lumen skin today go to lumenskin.com slash happy hour to get your free trial of lumen's products that's spelt l-u-m-i-n skin dot com slash happy hour to get your free trial of lumens products one more time lumenskin.com slash happy hour thanks to lumen for sponsoring the show we're at home pod time not, not because there's home pod news but because as a uh, lot, lot of home pods are dying these days they don't last forever mine thankfully are still alive I, I didn't give mine time to die. I sold them. Remember whenever they were yeah. discontinued? Uh, I, you sent yours to the graveyard. Yeah, or at least new owners. Every time there's a software update, mm-hmm. I'm like praying that this isn't the update that breaks mine. Oh, I would, <laughs> I would totally turn off software updates. And just... Well, I have thought about it, but I don't know. I, I would be betraying my Apple, <laughs> Apple fan loyalty if I turn off software updates on stuff because. <laughs> Like, I want to try this. Even though the HomePod doesn't get crazy software updates, they have actually given it a few little things here and there. Mostly stuff that also applies to the HomePod Mini, but then the big HomePod gets it as well. So I, 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 I take their gamble every single time. Yeah. And so far, both... I, I have a 2018 HomePod that I bought literally on day one, and I have a 2018 HomePod that I bought when they added um, AirPlay 2 support, which is a few months after. And I still have them in stereo pair on my desk, and they still sound as they did in launch day, and they still work fine. Knock on wood. So now, a reason reason this is coming up is our, our colleague Chance Miller tweeted out that his one of his his has died, and you know can can like it's gone and replace them when they die because Apple does continue them. Um, I just want to say, and then I'll let you have the floor. That mm-hmm. I just want to remind everybody. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot lately about like people that are remorseful that that, that home pod went away that it's actually better than it was you know like these days they, they think it ended up kind of had a bad rap um but it's actually you know really really was a good thing and now that they're going away you know i feel like there was no more positive space on this planet for home pod than this podcast yep before it came out and and as it was released that the anticipation from you and i was immense because we saw the feature set that Yep, we you know Siri control Apple Music podcast multi room audio 
home kit, you know, these are the things that, that you can't do on competing products because it's in the Apple ecosystem. You know, you know, something as simple as using Siri to add something to your grocery list on their mind is up on your iPhone, like all these things um, that you could do a version of on other products, but you just can do there. And then it's expensive, you know, but we like nice things or like premium things. It's kind of like the Apple stuff. And, and so, you know, great. This product is going to exist. It comes out. We like it. It does what it says. Um, we, the sound quality was great. Yeah. Our biggest complaints were like, uh, you, you, um, you know, things that you couldn't do yet. You know, it didn't have good calendar management at first and they added that. And then the, the, the phone call feature set was limited. They, they, they made it better where it wasn't just placing the phone call, but I think you could do things like if your phone was ringing, you could answer it there. So they, they did a lot of things where it was. And calendaring, they didn't have calendaring on day one, for instance. Right. So they, they improved a lot of things and, and that were missing. And that was like the focus of our conversation about HomePod. And then it went away. And then it was like. And, and the cost thing, like we admitted it was expensive. And so. And they did bring the state. cost down from 350 to 300, which helped. And then we were both fans of when they would go on sale, uh, of course. But uh, it wasn't that it was like 300, it should be 50. It was like 300, man, $200 we would, you know, go down a lot better. Um, but, you know, so that's kind of our run on, on HomePod. Um, I, I feel like lately there's a lot of talk about uh, maybe HomePod wasn't as bad as we thought it was and too bad it doesn't exist and Apple should make it and <laughs> it kind of drives me crazy and then I everyone flipped their mind on it apart yeah, from us yeah. after they got rid of it <laughs> yeah yeah the only reason I got rid of mine is because I was like I was such a big like fan of the product itself and I couldn't bring myself to cling to a product that Apple was no longer committed to supporting and still enjoy it because then I just feel like eventually they're just going to I mean, what's happening today is that these things are dying and people, yeah, you, you can use the HomePod Mini, but it's not the same experience. Um, and, and so uh, I, I just got it. I just like ripped the bandit off on day one. I was just like, well, if Apple's not committed to this, I'm not going to get, um, you know, hung up on using it. <laughs> but now that they're actually like their, their lifespan seems to be shorter than, than you'd expect for a premium speaker. But, you know, that's what it is. Um, it's, 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 they're back in the news lately, back, back in the fold at least. So. Yeah, because Chance had a tweet that was like showing that in the aftermarket resale, they're going for like $700, which is kind of hilarious for singles. And before it was 350 for one or, you know, 700 for a pair. Like, I absolutely love these things. They are, they were too expensive. Even at 299 they were probably like pushing it. But I don't understand why did they give up on it? Like, these things, they make me so so happy every time i just play music on them they i ask siri to play some music it works great you ask siri to control some stuff in your home it works okay you ask siri like random trivia questions it doesn't work but whatever like just the music and the the siri integration the sound quality for speakers of that size especially like the bass response like it's it is miles apart from what you get out of a homepod mini and the homepod mini sold for a hundred dollars these were selling for three hundred I'd say it's three times as better in terms of sound, like maybe even more, because you you basically get no bass out of the HomePod Minis, and these gave you like crazy, like crazy good bass, and not like overbearing, but like perfectly balanced. It was really impressive, and then especially if you had two of them, the sound like stage in front of you was like anyone that comes around. I play music on them like casually, and they're like, "Wow, they sound great." I'm like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, you can't buy them, so sorry." But I like. I understand if these things didn't sell and everything that we've seen suggests that 
they only sold like single digit millions of them which in apple scale is not enough to sustain a product line and this was definitely this was like in the tail end of the apple's cancelling all of its like ancillary products like the airport routers and displays and the home pod was another casualty i guess but i kind of i still every day every week goes by i'm like come on change your mind make one of these again not like home mini okay keep it around it's fine and seems to be selling a bit better maybe not crazy but a bit better but have a 199 home pod or a 250 home pod that surely by this point like all they need to do in my book to be happy is reintroduce the exact same speaker they sold in 2018 with a more, more modern chip in it so you get the ultra wideband but the actual like speaking components could be identical and surely four years on they can make that exact same speaker for a lot cheaper than they did in 2018. Even if they reduced some of the premium like build, build, build of materials down, they could still have a very compelling product at 200, 250. Like they probably did slightly over-engineer it, and that was why it cost so much. But like, I feel like there's a massive market there for a great Apple accessory, and I don't get like an argument that says there's a reason for the HomePod Mini to exist, but not a bigger one. Like the bigger one is the smaller one but better and apple just doesn't offer it and even if you look at the like smart speaker market all the excite or all the interest and all the demand is in those you know homepod mini and cheaper speakers like the 30 dollar ones the 50 dollar ones no one's competing on in this space that is like there's no good homepod replacement out there the best you can probably do is like a sonar speaker but then they don't have good integration and they're just not as nice like the homepod speakers sound great and Every week, I'm like, please, Apple, please come back around and just give me a, a bigger HomePod again. And what we have instead is rumors that Apple is working on this. Uh, this comes from Mark Gurman at Bloomberg, that Apple is working this kind of like combination soundbar, FaceTime camera, uh, Apple TV device thing that would go under your television and act as like a home theater experience for the living room. And that would be their new quote-unquote HomePod product. But that doesn't answer my requests. Like, that sounds kind of cool. I still wonder whether they're going to learn from their mistakes of the 2018 HomePod with this new one, because it could still very well be priced too much or, you know, be too high market or not do what people want. Like, especially if they don't have, you know, connectivity issues. Because one of the big other complaints that people would levy against the HomePod is that the only way you could use it was either directly or using AirPlay. It didn't have Bluetooth support and stuff. And I personally didn't care about that. And I don't think it detracted from the product much. But in the wider market, a lot of people were were interested in that. And that was definitely a, a big like tick in the cons list on like every tech review about it. And the upcoming soundbar FaceTime combo thing could have the same issues, could be too expensive. Even if it's not too expensive, even if it is well priced and you know feature rich. It's only going to make sense under a television because it's a big soundbar thing. And so you're going to address the living room. But I use my HomePods in the in the office or upstairs, you know, in other rooms of the house. And that's not going to that's not going to make me happy. I'm still going to be wanting what I used to have. Maybe if they don't want to make like a big HomePod again, maybe they could do two HomePod minis and like a separate subwoofer, like wireless subwoofer thing. Because I know Sonos offers products that, right, where you can buy like the the satellite speakers then you can buy a separate base uh like woofer speaker subwoofer so maybe that's a, a potential direction to go now to offer a substitute where you'd buy like 
two HomePod minis for the left and right, and then you'd buy a separate wireless base provider box thing. But even then, it's still not going to provide the overall experience of what the HomePod did in such a small, compact thing. They had like seven speakers, you know, and the base thing. Like, I, I just want them to make it again. And it's been several years, and we still don't have any indications that it's going to happen, which is very sad. I think my, my biggest regret is I sold them too soon. So they're obviously going <laughs> for much more these days than when they were first announced as being discontinued. No longer sold. Um, and yeah. I, I I have three HomePod Minis, um, one in a stereo pair, and then one on its own. Uh, and you know they're they're okay, but it, to, to me, the, the, even with something if, like if Apple comes out with a, a more featured thing that doesn't sound like it's going to be any more affordable, then like you said, that's going to could introduce a lot of the same challenges. Um, I just don't. I mean, my initial thing when they they announced that they were going to continue to support the the big HomePod, continue selling them, was that well. Uh, that's what put me in the mindset of Apple cares that they're the iPhone company and the Mac company and they do an okay job sometimes with the iPad and sometimes they do a, and some years they're better at being the Apple watch company than other years. But, but um, at no point are they really the HomePod company. And there are companies that are dedicated, you know, Sonos especially to being the, the speaker company. And um, you know, I, I think the, to, the, the, to me, the biggest shame is that we haven't yet seen like Sonos take advantage of the ability to put Siri in, inside of, it's speaker, you know, I think mm-hmm. the, the Ecobee thermostat has taken advantage of that, where if you have a HomePod mini or HomePod on the Wi-Fi network, then that can drive the experience of having Siri integrated in another smart product that has a microphone and speaker built in. It's, it acts as like a relay. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, Sonos could, could do that. And I think years ago they would do that just because they wanted to work with everybody and be the most compatible and then, you know, more recently, they've become like the, the company that sues Amazon and, and Google. And, you know, they don't like the, the terms of the deals and, and that kind of thing. Um, and they don't want to, I think, I think the, the company, like the CEO, which is not the CEO of years ago, um, I think like the reaction to, you know, will someone support that is, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a nice feature, but the fact that you've got to have a HomePod on it almost defeats the purpose of, of you know, the, you have to buy their speaker to make our speaker better, you know, which is kind of a fair point. Well, at that, at that point, maybe I will just make the, make the speaker. They should go back to competing. But, um, and I, I think it makes me think about is, of course the big home pod was, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's over-engineered, you know, if it's, if it's like too much for, for what it should be, you know, I think for the price, it's probably actually a pretty good value. Um, of course it's not going to be the most mainstream thing. And that's why the mini exists. Um, but that's true of like any line that Apple's in, you know the most Mac Studio is a great example. Well, even just like, like HomePod or not HomePod, uh, iPad. You know the 329 iPad is the most popular. <laughs> you know, and the iPad Pro 12.9 inch is like way over engineered compared to it. You know, and I'm sure it just like does it justify its existence, or is it more of an aspirational product where Apple, you know, they, they well the the iPad Pro. I agree with you that it's over engineered and expensive and you know high end, but I mean it obviously still sold magnitudes more than the home does, does, does every single does every single model on its own like just take a look at the 12.9 inch for example on its own not even the 11 inch but like does that ipad justify you know its existence any more than a, a more premium home pod would in a line of smart speakers you know i mean i think they did i mean unfortunately i think the ipads are just like they're, they're popular enough that even the the over the over engineered nice models still selling 
decent quantity well, said, compared to if, if you sell ten million a quarter. Uh, I, I, mean, I don't think that we, I just don't think we have the information that they don't. Yeah, I mean, we there. don't know, but like they the estimates on like HomePod is they sold like six million total right, over its sure. entire lifetime. So it's like we can't, you know, the the, the iPad Pro selling more than that in a year. So but I think in any in any any um you know lineup you've got that the higher end ones is just not going to have as many numbers. And and they looked at the HomePod line as like they only had the high end one. I mean, imagine if you were yeah. judging the Mac. Like the max existence based on Mac Pro sales of any given year, you know, and you just never even. Yeah, I mean, them. if they can, if they can care to do a Mac Studio or a Mac Pro, I 100% agree with you on that basis. That why can they not dedicate time to a proper HomePod too? And like, I feel like they, you even see this this indecision in the product line by the fact that they didn't rename the HomePod Mini to the HomePod. They're still hedging by calling it the HomePod Mini, as if they're like, yeah, we know it doesn't satisfy the full HomePod experience, but we're not going to offer you that product either. It's kind of a weird equilibrium they've got themselves into because mm. like how many mac studios they're really going to sell or how many mac pros they've really sell very 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 few but they still you know take the the resources and dedication to do it and i the, for the customers that want it it makes them very happy and we've seen them just recently come back into the display game so i can't imagine that they're going to sell millions and millions of displays they're probably going to sell you know homepod demands similar HomePod demand to external displays but they don't have to do everything as this is going to make us loads of money because if, if that was their objective they would only ever make like the iPhone because <laughs> the iPhone dominates everything else so yeah um, who, make, who makes the decision you think it's Tim Cook that says you know, this, this thing sitting around these I mean that is a really interesting <laughs> question like who decides we're not going to do routers we're not going to do displays we're not going to do this speaker but we are going to do this, this, and this. We are going like, to do AirPods Max, which again, don't take yeah. it away. Like, yeah, AirPods it. Max is a, is probably the best parallel because that's literally an audio product that is just as niche as a big HomePod would be, and, and costs more than the big HomePod. And may, maybe they're going to stick to form and discontinue the AirPods Max soon, and then that would at least match their, their decision making with the big HomePod. And then anytime but, Apple does something that's kind of more premium, you just look at it as like, yeah, who approved that? And they're not. It's not going to last. <laughs> Boss man's gonna find out now, and Tim's gonna kill that next. Yeah, because going into the HomePod's release, they must have known it wasn't gonna sell in huge numbers, right? Like, what number did it have to sell in for them to keep to work on a second generation, right? What, what, how many more millions than six million did they have to sell for it to be not get cancelled? Like, I'd love to know that information, but we're never gonna get told it. And I, I think that people at Apple like the HomePod, the big HomePod, a lot. And I think that's why that's why I say like, who comes up with this? You know, whose whose call is it? And, and, you know, of course, when you've got models that are still in Best Buy when the thing goes discontinued in 2021 or whenever that have the original firmware, for, you know, from 2018 or so, then not a, not a good sign, but <laughs> still, I don't know. But but I, I think that it, I, I, it probably has a special place in history. It's like one of the most popular discontinued items ever. I would, I would. Yeah, like I know people love to compare it to the iPod Hi-Fi, but but when that went away, it, nobody was like, Does he, "Can you can you find you know can somebody in the Bay Area find one of these for me? I'm trying to you know complete my setup." You know, people. Are yeah, like, and the iPod Hi-Fi, to all understanding, sold like two hundred thousand. Now, this also was when Apple was a much more company, so that's a factor too. But the iPod Hi-Fi was just a straight flop, right? And the HomePod, it kind of toes the line between failure and success, which is what makes it so forlorn that they chose to get rid of it without even trying around two. So, I keep hoping. I keep hoping for a new glimmer of a rumor that's like, 
yeah, and they're going to do another home thing. Because, I, I mean, I hope for ambition in the home space in general. Like, I think smart home is a huge area that Apple could expand into in big, big ways. And they've only taken very, 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 very small steps. And the biggest step they took with the big home pod, they backtracked in only a couple of years, which was disappointing. Also this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Are you sleeping on a saggy old mattress? You deserve better. In fact, you might be laying down on that mattress right now as you listen to this show as you go to bed. And if that's you, if you're in need of a mattress upgrade, Helix can help. Take the Helix Sweep quiz in just two minutes and get instantly matched with a mattress that is perfect for you. Tune to your sleep preferences and body type. Helix knows that not everyone is the same. So they have several different models like super soft, medium and firm mattresses. And there's even a version that is designed to cool you down if you sleep hot. Now, I'm jealous because I know Zach got actually sent one of these mattresses. He did the quiz. So how do you like it? I know you've talked about it before, but here we go again. Yeah, I love my Helix mattress. I took the quiz and uh, it's one of those quizzes where it asked the right questions. And the result that I got was was the midnight mattress, which is um, sort of the the medium, the, the firm um, mattress in the lineup. And, uh, right now my, my, my things are in storage in between moving. And so that's like the one thing I'm missing the most is my mattress. And when I, when I, um, have it back, I'm going to be so relieved, um, because you, you, it's a really great mattress and I love it. Um, but it's one of those things where take the quiz, see what you, see what you get and then go from there because what I enjoy and recommend might not be what your preferences are. And so the quiz will give you the answer that you're looking for, whether it's midnight or some of the other options. So that's what I would suggest people do is take the quiz and then go from there. So if you're looking for a mattress, just like Zach said, just take the Helix quiz, order the mattress that you'll match with, and it comes shipped to your door for free. You don't need to visit a physical store. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5mac Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress to give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for 100 nights for free. If you don't love it, they'll come back and pick it up for you. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for happy hour listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5mac now. That's spelled H-E-L-I-X-S-L-E-E-P dot com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring the show. All right, next up, we have a new story from The Information, which uh, doesn't seem completely brand new to me. It seems like we kind of get one of these every few years. But the story yeah. the story goes that um, at least someone at Apple is unhappy with the way that Apple prioritizes privacy um, in, in, in designing features and what it, how it limits what's possible to do with Apple's feature sets. So uh, what's the story this time? Yeah, so like you said, we've heard about this before in broad strokes. There are a couple of interesting kind of specific examples in this information report. The general like narrative is that Apple prioritizes customer privacy and data sensitivity above other objectives of like features and functionality, which then impacts its products and it can't innovate or offer functionality that its competitors do across the entire business. So they use the typical examples like the photos experience. It has to do the machine learning on device for object identification and people identification, which it can get, you know, most of the way there with on device stuff, but it doesn't quite have the same like unified or fine grained searching that you can get with like a Google Photos option, um, for instance. The one of the examples they called out uh, in the information report was about uh, Siri. So one of the, uh, in 2019, 
employees were exploring whether a customer could use Siri to purchase apps and other online services by using their voice, similar to how you do it with like uh, the Amazon uh, speaker, right? Uh, but the effort was delayed or stalled because of strict privacy rules that meant that engineers were not allowed to tie a, per- a person's Apple ID to their voice request, and they couldn't find a way to reliably authenticate users in order to build them, so the project got shelved. Obviously, that's an example where Siri could be better and offer some features that its competitors do, but the privacy line meant that they were not they were not allowed to do that, which is, I guess, true. Like it's a it's a debate whether that feature is worth sacrificing the individual user's privacy compared to like a story where you know Siri data got leaked and suddenly your Apple ID is out there connected to your previous request. Like that's the problem with this stuff. It's like individual features probably don't hit the bar for being worthwhile to relinquish the privacy concerns but if you add up all these features together maybe you can make an argument that apple is being too old-fashioned or too conservative like i think it'd be kind of cool if you could order stuff with your voice and in a way they kind of done that with um apple music voice so the voice only plan for apple music you can sign up for that only using your voice through siri but obviously that only shipped last year Uh, Whereas this was like a 2019 project and it sounded like you could basically buy apps, music, games, like video, video content, all using your voice. So uh, it sounds like a bigger, maybe they worked out the privacy concerns just for Apple Music Voice or that was a special case or whatever. But the larger feature got shelved. And it's a really hard thing for me to be like, they should just sacrifice all of their privacy stuff for the sake of functionality. But I kind of feel like these is a domain where maybe they should be more open to like a a set of options or privacy controls so a user can say look i understand i'm giving you more information i understand i'm tying my apple id to my voice requests but i'm okay with that give me extra functionality because that kind of hones back to the um the classic quote from steve jobs at the d conference right where he's like what is privacy it's like privacy is where you ask people every time make them stop you make them tell you to stop asking you to do this stuff right and so the classic example is location services where every single app presents that dialogue you can allow location you can allow location one time only you can allow location permanently and that feels like maybe a middle ground they could do with some of this stuff where i i wouldn't care personally if my photo library was slurped into a cloud somewhere and processed so i could get functionality on par with what google photos offers but if somebody else has a more sensitive uh, opinion or they don't want their photos out in the world, they would just not toggle the switch. And they and they, they could be a nice big like explanation and there you go and Bob's your uncle, you, you carry on with your life, right? So I don't know how you think about that, but maybe that's a way they could find a way forward on this rather than just point blank refusing, like the privacy czars at the company just point blank refuse to support this stuff. I don't know. Yeah, well, it is something. You look at it point by point, feature by feature, and the way that Amazon does is that you can purchase basically anything on Amazon. And, you know, that's really in service of Amazon, the company. I mean, the, the company's goal is to sell things through, through Amazon, you know, and and then everything else is designed around that, uh, you know. So, of course, their voice assistant will let you buy things. But as as a consumer, that's also kind of a cool feature. If, if you just imagine, you know, voice interface, um, eventually you'd want to do everything that you that you do and more through voice, if you're just thinking about like some futuristic scenario and you, and you wouldn't say, well, because of privacy, 
can't, that's not possible. It, it is possible, but because it seems like eventually Apple finds a way, you know, Apple's always faced over the last 10 years, it's faced this criticism of they're not as good at services as Google or Amazon or whatever competitor. And then they, then they tend to still do the feature. They just do it differently. They do it, you know, in a way this relies on device more than, than server stuff. And, um, you know, one of my favorite, favorite things that like a WWC keynote was Craig Federighi was like, of course, you know, we can, we can search your photos for a horse. We know what a horse looks like. You know, that, there's like common sense ways to do these things um, that are not all just give up privacy. And so I think to, to make a better argument, you, you need a lot more of those features, you know, say, well, the reason that you can't do not just this one thing, but like 20 things or all these things that you, that your competitor are doing is because of privacy. Um, uh, you know, probably if you looked at it and said, well, because I don't think people's complaints with the Siri specifically is about not being able to order things from Amazon.com yes. or Apple.com. It's very true. It, it's uh, way more nuanced than that. And it's not just that simple. And, 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 you know, years ago we had like the, the hope of this, this Google hire, uh, John Gian Andre, uh, comes to, you know, take over machine learning and Siri at Apple. And then there's this big reorganization and, and when are we going to see the, the results of that? And I don't think we we have or are <laughs> in a way that yeah. they recognize. It was never like the Siri 2.0 that I think we kind of hoped would come out of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so these, these privacy stories, um, because we we have these every few years too, um, they tend to be more, and from my view, that like one project or another project just didn't get off the ground because mm-hmm. there was probably probably that there, there it wasn't that it wasn't possible. It just wasn't the interest in like finding the, the the privacy focused way of doing that or the apple way of doing it um and or like it bubbles up to craig federigi and he just like at Vaultly makes a choice are we going to sacrifice the privacy here to do this feature and he's like i don't care about that yeah Scrap it. yeah <laughs> and and uh, you could also say is privacy the biggest reason that some of these initiatives aren't um taking off or because because i'm sure you could also say well we want this thing to do this thing and it the reason is that doesn't take off the ground is not because of privacy, but just any other resource besides engineering efforts to make it private. Um, and so you could probably do these others. You could probably write similar stories that are like, because of profit, you know, and chasing services, revenue engineers are unhappy that you can't do these things, you know? Um, so <laughs> I'm not, I'm not so sure that is in the, the way that they, they tend to be presented is that uh, if not for privacy, you could, you could do this. And, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's that. I don't think it's that clear. I think it's more, yeah. more like you know, if if because it's just not a priority for Apple. Uh, and like privacy is is one thing, but they if they they find a way if they really wanted to do it. They, they yeah, that's the problem with like the reports that come out every couple of years is that they're obviously just collating the anecdotes from upset employees or, or upset engineers whose features got canned because of this policy, right? And so you only get like a snapshot of two or three examples where it's like this stuff didn't happen because someone in the privacy department was like this is this is an overreach you you don't get the bigger picture of like is this entire organization or entire function or entire division being continuously held back by the privacy stuff and so you can never get a full assessment of it like is would siri be matching google's and amazon's performance on you know trivia queries if they had more, if they collected more data, I don't think it's 
100% clear that that is the driving reason why that no. isn't happening. On, on the cap- Apple is just not yeah. very good at it, <laughs> like, full yeah. stop. Even if they collected all the data, Siri could just still be as, you know, quote, third rate. And and that's a whole nuanced argument as well, because Siri isn't third rate in some areas. But, you know, in general information driven, I think it's fair to say it's probably the, the, the third place uh, voice platform. Because, but, because when people do argue in favor of, like, you know, well, why, why isn't Siri as good as the voice assistant from Google or Amazon or whoever else? You do see the argument, maybe not from Apple directly, but, and, and I don't know if it comes from Apple indirectly, but you do see people argue, well, because Apple isn't as good as, they're, they're not as performant because they, they do care about your privacy and that's, you know, that's a trade off. So you do see people argue that, that direction. Um, and even that, you know, <laughs> I think, I think the counter to that is be okay, we'll turn off all the privacy and are, are they actually, so better or is it just not the priority and it is um so yeah yeah i I don't think we learn a lot from this unfortunately and then one other example they just had was about apple tv plus and they basically said that demographics information was like not given to the tv plus team so they couldn't get information about how videos that people were watching in the tv app uh like or sufficient knowledge about that such that they could then use that information to recommend more videos to their preferences or know what other type of content that's doing well and stuff and on the one hand that feels kind of stupid because obviously netflix disney and the other streaming services are obviously using and exploiting all that information to make their decisions but but later in the story it said that one of the reasons that this was decided uh not to be given to the tv plus team about the tv app behavior was because they didn't want to Apple didn't want to be seen as playing favorites to its own service when the other content inside the TV app does not also get given the information. So I guess if both people are on the same playing ground, it doesn't <laughs> like it. Like that's like that's like a decent counter argument because otherwise, if Apple had been given TV Plus information, there could easily have been a report out that Apple favors its own streaming services over competitors. This is anti you know competition and stuff. So some of this stuff is more nuanced than just Apple user privacy policy. Yeah, and just it also reminds me of the time frame. There, there was I think around the time when, when, when like this, for example, got back to the Siri feature of ordering things, you know, and there, there, even with Apple's existing like privacy positions, there was sort of the, the, um, it, the, the, the movement that made them develop the feature where you had to opt in to, to like, like Siri feedback, you know, where you share, like share anonymously. That was a default before. And then they had to pull, like, give you the prompt. So even with with as much as they're doing, they still weren't winning in terms of even the privacy game, in terms of like the the messaging there. So, hmm, yeah, it's a tough one. But these stories don't come up time and time again for no reason. So it's like a hard thing. You can't like fully dismiss it, but also you have to take it at the context that's given and appreciate the wider decision making. Also, finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by BetterHelp. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash machappyhour. Stress manifests itself in many ways. It can drain you emotionally, but what you might not know is that it also can have physiological effects. Symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And it usually comes along with being worn down and tired, also causing worse eating habits, worse sleep schedules, the works. Everyone can get stressed out, some more than others, but it's something that will hit us all. Like it or not, we're in a world that's always telling us to push harder and do more, with pressures to sleep less and to do the grind. But really, you need a reminder to take care of yourself and maybe try out some therapy. 
You are your own greatest asset. So BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress levels. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and 95 Mac Happy. Our listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Hour. That's betterhelp.com slash Hour. Spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Hour. One more time, betterhelp.com slash Hour. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. All right, finally, we have uh, some information from Ming-Chi Kuo about the iPhone 14 and the good news for uh, new iPhones this year. It seems like the, the front camera will improve, which is not always a given. So uh, what what changes are coming this year that we, we can expect so far? Yeah, Kuo says that on all four iPhone models, the front camera will upgrade to add autofocus and an about f1.9 aperture that's compared to the fixed focus front camera on the iphone 13 and an aperture of f2.2 so basically uh the the smaller f number is better because it means more light is coming in uh it's just a confusing metric because the numbers getting smaller and obviously autofocus support helps reduce grain and noise because it can directly focus on a subject and the lower f number will also provide a better shallow depth of field effect so you can have a natural selfie slash portrait mode and autofocus can also enhance like facetime video calls live streaming that kind of thing because obviously the camera can snap on to your face which is kind of cool uh also this week we had a like leak or a dummy of all four iphones in a line and this kind of shows that that obviously the quo report was about the front camera but obviously we know the back cameras are also getting upgrades and on these dummies like we have seen these these schematics before but it just kind of reinforced in this when all four dummies are just lined up next to each other the rear camera module is getting even bigger and it looks ginormous especially on the 6.1 inch like iphone 13 pro model it doesn't look as crazy on the max models uh the you know the 6.7 inch phone because obviously the overall phone's huge but the camera modules are the same across the board on the pros and they are big <laughs> yeah i mean that, that really that I think the the biggest defender, if you can call that an offense, is, is the the 13 Pro. This current, like the current out of the current phones, because um, that's when it got you know this like almost disproportionate to the rest of the body camera bump, and it's getting even bigger. What said to me in the four dummies that we saw this week is you know it's just the visualization of what we expect, which is there's not going to be a new update to the 12 or 13 mini. That is that that size goes away for this year. That there's 14. 14 Pro and then 14 um, Max and 14 Pro Max, and so what stands out to me is that when you go up to the to the 14 Max non-Pro, that then you've got it's like the opposite of the 13 Pro this year, where you've got a smaller body with a giant camera bump that's like disproportionate, and then the the 14 Max will look funny because it's bigger and doesn't have the giant like proportionately sized camera bump to it. So, um, it's it's uh. Visually, visually, it will be you know, <laughs> in both regards. Like you've got a, a small phone with a giant bump, big phone with a giant bump. You know, you, you've got all the options this year from what we'll expect to see so far. Mm-hmm. And then, if you're looking further ahead, Quo says that the iPhone 16 
will be the one that provides the mythical experience of an all-screen iPhone with no camera holes, no bumps, underscreen, camera, and face ID on the front. So Hmm. Hmm. if you're still holding out for that mythical phone that basically everybody imagined the day the iPhone X came out, uh, two more years, supposedly. Uh, and if, if Quote needs to adjust this, you know, and say next year it becomes iPhone 17, then you always add a plus one year, then you can go on Twitter now and you can you can complain about it because <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things. I feel like this is, we're back in the territory of too good to be true. And then the closer we get to it, it's like, actually, yeah, it's further out than we thought. Yeah. Like this year, we're getting the smaller hole punch plus circle instead of the notch design, but getting rid of those those holes fully is hard challenge and maybe it happens in the iphone 16 cycle maybe it doesn't but i i'd love it if it did that's what everybody's waiting for but it's just a hard thing and i don't think apple wants to sacrifice the camera quality because you could put an underscreen camera today it would just be terrible <laughs> so if you still want a decent quality front camera it's a lot further out to get it seamlessly underneath the screen and finally quote also had a tweet about uh, kind of vague but basically indicating that apple had been considering diversifying from its china production line in the wake of covid19 outbreak uh but it only got to the kind of like initial proposal stages but more recently including the continued lockdowns in china uh, uh, to diversify supply management risks apple is now building new product uh, production sites or at least uh, the the plan to build new pro- production sites in non-China regions is no longer a proposal, but is now an action plan, which presumably means they're more serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this makes sense. Like even without COVID, the signs were there that Apple probably should look at other regions for diversifications. As, uh, they had the trade war in you know the Trump cycle, and that was a big. That was that caused a lot of disruption, and there were some indications back then. Apple began looking at, you know, Vietnam and India and other places to produce devices, but it's just a long, long thing. Like it took them, you know, they developed the China production machine over decades, and they're not going to be able to just switch on a dime to a different country. So it's going to be very, very slow, very, very gradual. Here, Quo's basically saying like new products, you know, facilities for new products. They might be outside of China. Uh, he's not even talking about existing product lines like the iPhone, right? Like, what country can produce 700,000 iPhones a day or whatever crazy number they're at at the moment with factories that hold, like, a million people? Like, China's so unique in that way. And I'm sure if Apple was, like, had the ability, they would move out of China completely in a heartbeat if they could find somewhere else that was just as cheap for them, just as easy, just as infrastructurally complete in a different region that was less controversial that had less uh you know covid situations but that is just a pipe dream you can't just imagine that stuff and lastly i I, sports side i remember a few weeks ago i was talking about this you know i said i don't i don't think baseball things happening (laughs) because because uh we always hear that that's on the you know apples in the running and then you know they don't they don't get the sports deal well baseball happened and now we're, we're back to football and I don't know. I'm kind of moved by this one because the report isn't that that Apple is in the running to sign a deal to carry NFL. The report's basically that they might have already signed a deal 
and it's not being announced until it's time to announce it, but that like the deal doesn't get announced yet, that it's it's secret. And that's different than Apple's in talks or like in, in, in final talks is, you know, sign a deal. So uh, it's partly because of baseball, but partly because this is, it's, the claim here is a little bit more aggressive than before. And this is about, yeah, about it sounds like ticket. Yeah. Apple is pretty close to signing on the dotted line for Sunday ticket, even if it, maybe it's actually, I think if it had actually been signed, it would it probably leak out in some way. Like they're going to have to, if, if it's already been signed, they're going to have to announce it sooner rather than later because, you know, all the other players that were bidding for it, they know at least that if they haven't got it, <laughs> you know what I mean? So direct TV can't be like, they don't have any more. Yeah. So like they, I feel like if this has fully happened, it will be announced. Like Apple can hold it off for a little bit, but it, they can't hold it off for a long time. And the season that we're talking about doesn't start till like September next year, I, I believe. So if they, they're not going to keep it secret for a year and a half, it's just ridiculous. So if it's happened, they'll announce it. They'll say it's coming next year. Uh, as it stands at the moment, obviously all they have is baseball, but the baseball rollout clearly showed that this was not going to be the only sport they do they were going to invest in a wider range of sports uh obviously sunday ticket is like the most prestigious i would say of the big sports but also there's been rumors apple's been looking at mls and major league soccer there's been rumors they've got bids on the indian um the indian national league like they're looking at all sorts of sports and they're going to get a few the baseball deal there the, was a decent start but again it was quite limited to the fact that it's only two games a week uh, the Sunday ticket thing is, you know, loads of games and a whole day's worth of games across all teams. So that's like such a, a much bigger draw for people. And it also means Apple will have to pay a lot more for it. Like the uh, MLB deal is like valued about 80 million a year. The Sunday ticket deal will be like two, two billion, three billion a year in terms of what Apple has to pay. So whereas MLB was Friday Night Baseball is just built in for free with TV Plus, I personally think it's unlikely that they will do sunday ticket as a free inclusion it will probably be like an add-on thing where maybe they do it free for you know limited time to get promotional appeal and then it becomes like a ten dollar subscription on top of your five dollar apple tv plus subscription so the, the way that they entice people into apple tv plus from the addition of sunday ticket is that to get sunday ticket you have to subscribe to TV plus as well but they're not gonna i don't think that they can budget it so that it's just included in the five dollar month price that's that's way too cheap Apple One Premiere Plus, Matt. <laughs> I mean, maybe they include it in top Premiere bundle because they have more margin there. But like, you if you're just subscribing to TV Plus on its own for four ninety nine a month, they can't do that and also include two and a half billion dollars in Sunday ticket. It's just it's just too much. And then and then uh, finally, finally is uh, Netflix has made the headlines this week because they had their uh, earnings results and and they not only missed their subscriber growth, they had some loss for the first time in a decade. And um, I think there's some context to put around this, but a lot of that's missed on some of the headlines. But uh, what's your take here? Uh, <laughs> people like, I, I think the funniest thing about this was Netflix for the longest time is like the stalwart, the n- number one, no one can, no one can defy it. Boom, they have one bad quarter and the entire of Twitter's like, Netflix sucks. Why does anybody have it? I'm subscribed. Nobody's watching it. Like the knee jerk reaction, I think, was pretty over exaggerated. Like, yeah, Netflix isn't the, the hero darling growth machine that it once was, but they're not dying. They're nowhere close to dying. 
they're going to lose. They they lost like 0.5 million subscribers this quarter. They say, oh sorry, they lost 200,000 subscribers this quarter. They say they would have gained 500,000 if it wasn't for the Russian exit because they lost 700,000 by exiting the Russian market. Next quarter, they say they're going to lose two million, which is you know more. It's just you know they're not glowing figures when you've got like two quarters of successive losses uh, predicted. But this is the streaming service that has. 200 million plus subscribers paying subscribers so you know they can lose a lot of subscribers and still be the biggest service by subscriber count revenue and profitability because all their rest of their competition they're all running at losses at the moment as they try and catch up and even just match the numbers that netflix can put out like netflix like squid game what other service could give you a Squid Game in terms of like the sensation that that was? Nobody can. Like Netflix is a, be- a behemoth. It's just so big, and they're going to have to do a lot more fumbling to to fail, I think. And yeah, right now in this like three month span, you can probably argue that some other services had better content or better hero content, but like the, the streaming service wars are not made up of you know three months. It's like a much longer time frame here I do, is netflix going to be the number one service forever mm, who knows maybe not maybe disney plus will take over but i don't think they're gonna like fade into irrelevancy like maybe they'll be top three forever right rather than top one and the stock price got pummeled because they're no longer seen as a growth stock but financials and you know the service are very different things like i don't care about the financial stock market side this is just like customer appeal netflix is a is a is an incumbent at this point. They 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 brought on the streaming revolution. They have so many subscribers under the belt. They have so much more runway in terms of more subscribers they get in the future. And this kind of knockback on the negative numbers has probably shaken a bit of their complacency out. They can do some restructuring. They can refocus maybe, you know, on some content stuff. And a big thing that they can drive in the future is an ad-supported plan. And in the past, uh, Netflix has fiercely or staunchly said, we are not going to do an ad supported plan we think it's just we think it's too complicated we think customers don't want it we don't want to worry just we we want a simple thing you pay for you pay for netflix you get netflix uh, but every other streaming service apart from apple is doing ad supported plans and the ones that already exist seem to be doing pretty well and if you want to juice subscribers adding an ad supported tier makes a lot of sense on the earnings call this week reed hastings said he's now open to doing ad supported plans if they launch that, they're going to be even more dominant than they are right now. Because right now they have 200 million plus subscribers paying multiple dollars per month for their service. They could easily get, you know, tens of millions more if they add up an ad supported cheaper tier as well. So I like Twitter's funny. They, they, you know how you were saying about like the HomePod thing, like where overnight everyone went from like hating the HomePod to loving it. I think you can see the same similar thing here with Netflix. I think you can say the similar thing with Apple TV Plus. Like, you know, how for two years we've been talking about TV Plus as like a decent thing. It's you know, it makes sense for them to do it. They're doing it. They're building up their catalogue. It's not stupid. But you know, we we are in the minority. I think like a lot of places, a lot of people, a lot of community consensus are just like this is stupid. It's irrelevant. Like, why are they even bothering? Only ten shows. Blah blah blah. blah. And then they go and like do Ted Lasso, and some people get on board, and then they win an Oscar. And all I've seen the like the last month is TV Plus is the best thing ever. They've won. Like you know, everyone else can fade and and bow down to their feet. Like, come on. Like TV Plus. I like TV Plus. It's doing well. But you know they. Success is not guaranteed there. They are they their their market share is still very, very small and they have a long way to go. And just because they have done well recently doesn't mean that it's, you know, done and dusted in the same way that Netflix isn't finished, you know. All, all I hear you say is that that Netflix missed because Severance was a good show. 
<laughs> no, all I care about is I just want to see Netflix. Severance is the number one show in the country, right? Yeah. yeah. I just want to see Netflix do bad enough that they don't that they can't get away with charging a premium for 4K over HD. So you know, when yeah, when, I mean, when no one else can pull, it, no one else even tries to pull it off. And they're like, eh, I mean, I I, I one of the, one thing that I've seen a few people say on Twitter is uh, Netflix is suffering because they're not included in the t- Apple TV up next section because they refuse to integrate. Come on, like the TV app, the <laughs> as a, usage as a, of the TV app. That's a very is, Apple-centric view. <laughs> yeah, a very Apple-centric view. The usage of the TV app is order of magnitude smaller than the usage of Netflix. It just is. Like Apple even released, you know, when they released that third-party report like last week or the week before where oh, they were yeah, telling yeah, how yeah. How, use, how useless their services were in, compared to third parties because they wanted to show they're not a monopoly. Yeah. They were saying like streaming on the Apple TV app versus Netflix is like, 17 times smaller 35 times smaller 400 times smaller in the uk it was like a thousand times smaller like the apple tv integration i would love it if they integrated with the apple tv stuff but that is not what's holding them back it just isn't and in fact if they did add that stuff maybe it would actually be a disadvantage to netflix because if they prop up aggregators like the tv app that's giving customers that previously were like exclusive to netflix more reason to try out something that's advertising to them content that isn't from netflix so that has to be in their calculus. The other services, they integrate because they want to get growth. They want to see as many eyeballs as possible. But when you're the number one player, maybe it would actually be worse for you to integrate with this stuff because let's say Netflix did start rolling into the TV app, more people start using the TV app. What does the TV app do? It promotes TV+, Plus. it promotes HBO, it promotes Disney. Whereas right now, Netflix wants you to only open the Netflix app and all you see is Netflix stuff. So like, I get why they come from on that. I wish they would support it, but I understand why they don't. Yep, Netflix missed because they they um, made their TVOS app unlike the the version before when Apple TV did the design, <laughs> and it was so simple. Just whatever your pet there, like whatever your preferences is why they missed. So, so I like that. Like one quarter's worth. Like Apple has bad quarters too sometimes, and we make jokes about Apple being doomed, and it obviously isn't doomed, right? Like same thing's true here, I think. Mm. All right, that is the happy hour podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please give us a uh, review rating. Recommendation subscription. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you can get the ad-free version for $4.99 per month. We appreciate people that do that. Um, we appreciate everybody who supports our sponsors as well. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email us together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter at ApolloZach. Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZMAO. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.